This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. I have a super awesome guest for you all. Austin Evans from YouTube is here with us. Hi, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Well, you're not technically from YouTube. I mean, I, you I live are, on YouTube. It's fine. You kind of live on it, so you're not with YouTube, but you are with YouTube. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. And, you know, it's funny because we hadn't really met until we ran into each other in Taiwan at the ROG, the ROG phone unveiling whatever you want to call it right <laughs> yeah yeah no because i feel like we had like been around a, sort of a ton of ces's and stuff but we never actually like properly met until then so i'm glad that we were able to actually kind of catch up and especially i'm glad that we're able to do the podcast today yeah i appreciate it um i think it's cool because you know i've always kind of wanted to pick your brain about some of your stuff on your channel so maybe maybe we'll get a chance to do that today um the first thing i kind of want to bring up is this whole saga around the new macbook pros and you got like a really high-end model right and and i want to kind of get your take on what you like what you don't like all that good stuff but also you know this whole thermal thing that apple finally issued a fix for supposedly today or is rolling out today what's your general take on that so the thing is macbooks have always been subject to some level of throttling right like this is not a new problem it's not something that's been sort of magically invented because they stuffed the core i9 inside i mean typically speaking you're going to see some level of throttling when you're you know doing heavy video editing or anything that's going to be super intense so the idea that and i don't want to go super like way into the the weeds here but essentially going from the quad core to the six core processors you're just sticking more cores in like i mean they're not going to be particularly more efficient or anything so if you're going to have issues at four cores, adding two more doesn't help anything. So when I first got the MacBook N, um, we were able to get a Core i9N to do a video. And uh, I, I was noticing some throttling, but I was putting it in comparison to the last gen and it was a fair bit better. But sort of in the last week or so, there have been a ton of people who've been really going deep on it. And it does seem like there is a real issue. And in fact, that was sort of addressed today by Apple basically saying, hey, there was a quote unquote missing digital key in the firmware that would impact the thermal management system, which is kind of a an interestingly specific yeah, way of putting it. Yeah, I read it. that and I was like, what do you mean by <laughs> digital key? Are we talking about like some sort of DRM slash crypto thing that is in well, there that somehow controls thermal I, behavior? Uh, it sounds really odd to me. I mean, there's a yeah, lot to know. it. There's a lot to it because, I mean, so not only do you, of course, have all of the built-in Intel sort of like firmware as well as the stuff that Apple can customize, but they've also integrated the T2 chip inside. Now, I don't know to what degree, if any, oh, that, that, that actually... Yeah, I don't know if that actually affects anything to do with the way that they're either signing and handling some of this firmware or maybe potentially like it's actually handling some of like the fan curves and stuff by itself. Because I know that they've moved a lot of that sort of lower yeah, level Yeah, a lot stuff of over. the SMC stuff has been moved over, right? Like yeah. pretty much like all the boot stuff is in there, right? Exactly. And the thermal, I get. Yeah, and that's, I can see how there'd be some th sort of uh, crypto authentication involved in you know, accessing the chip and maybe that part of the firmware wasn't signed properly, right? And yeah. they, it couldn't execute properly on the thermal stuff. That's my only thought here. 
Exactly, because the way they say missing digital key makes it seem to me, and especially because they're able to turn around the update so quickly, that to me makes it seem like, you know, they were dealing with a lot of stuff with the T2 chip and a lot of things were new, a lot of things were being moved over and maybe something sort of got shuffled underneath the, the, the rug. Now, we're recording this only a couple hours after the firmware has been released. So I haven't had a chance to download it and actually do any tests. I'm really curious to see, but some of the initial things I've been seeing, for example, Dave2D, one of the the main guys who actually sort of developed or like found out a lot about this, he was posting some stuff to Twitter, which makes it seem like we're actually going to be getting sort of much more even and level performance. Because I guess the main issue before was not so much that, you know, it was just running super slow, but it was being very spiky, right? So like something was triggering, there's been some posts on Reddit, and there's been a bunch of sort of speculation, but basically the at the end of the day, there was something that was triggering the CPU to drop heavily in performance and specifically with clock speed and then bounce back up. So you're getting this sort of very uneven spiky sort of clock speed. And now it seems like that's going to be addressed and it seems to be much more level, maybe not quite at the the speed you would want, but at least it's not going to be consistently dropping to like 800 megahertz. Yeah, yeah. So how has it been with you on, on the Core i9 you have day to day? Because obviously, like, I don't have one. And I've seen the videos from various people like Marquez spent 6k on his, right? It's like, I'm like, do you and, and a lot of people just said, you know, when I do rendering, like when you did rendering on his video, it was only like marginally faster than the old MacBook. And, and so I'm like, is it something, is this throttling something you really notice? Like, is it just still running fast enough that you're like, oh, I'm pretty satisfied with this? Or is this like really like this, something's wrong, clearly something's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's all in context, right? I mean, yeah. so the main thing for me, and specifically when I did my video was I was comparing it to my current four core MacBook Pro. And across the board, the i9 was faster. Now, mind you, when you consider that you get 50 more percent more cores and you're getting, you know, 15, 20 percent more performance, there's clearly not a massive, huge uptick that you would expect. But I mean, you're yeah. getting more performance and it's kind of hard to argue with that. But it does seem like there was an issue. And I'm I'm so curious. I really wish we were recording this podcast like six <laughs> hours from now so I could really kind of dig well, in and see. Well, here is the good news, Austin. People are gonna have to watch that video of yours that you're gonna. Hey, there do, we go. Where you? I mean, look. If anybody's not following your channel yet, um, I doubt. I doubt anybody who's listening to this podcast isn't following you yet. But on the odd chance, you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's. I just it's such a weird thing because. Again, I come back to the idea that throttling is not new. And the way that things are sort of developed, specifically with Intel, is that they have like a recommended sort of base frequency and they have the, the turbo. But all of this stuff is so complicated and it's really – it's you, everyone wants to sort of simplify it and go, oh, okay, look, it's a 2.9 gigahertz processor and it goes up to 4.8 or whatever. But this stuff is so complicated and there's so many moving pieces and the OEMs yeah. can change so much about it, right? So yeah. just because Intel says it should run at 2.9, Apple can run it at whatever they want if they want to prioritize sort of temperatures or even like sort of like skin temperature or whatever there's all these things that they can do so it's like it's throttling compared to what because it's all sort of about the specific way that you kind of want to tune it i don't want to go way in the weeds here but i've actually been recently working with another laptop it's actually a ryzen powered laptop that's uh-huh. uh very very thin it's like a 13 inch laptop and it's got the full ryzen mobile it's got like wow. the ryzen 7 and what i'm finding here is that it heavily throttles like very very severely to the point where it's you know underperforming like ryzen 5 stuff but it's because hp decided to tune it very specifically where it's not the fans don't really ramp up that much they keep the temperature very cool and they're leaving a lot of performance on the table but that's just a choice they made because they wanted to sort of prioritize the thermals and the noise over the raw performance and that's something that oems do all the time 
Absolutely. And Apple's well known for that. I mean, they've optimized for, you know, battery life and thinness over performance, like raw performance for years, right? And in a way, that's been really beneficial to Mac users, I think. In a way, though, for some tasks, it's been a, it's been a real, like, head scratcher and a real pain in the butt, right? So, yeah. I mean, I was, at first, that's kind of what I thought. It was, I really didn't necessarily think that there was an issue with these other than, you know, oh, it just doesn't deliver quite the performance we were expecting. But I'm glad to hear that people have been digging like uh, Dave2D and finding stuff and, and that Apple's actually quickly, you know, dealt with it. Like the fact that like compared to the keyboard, right? How long it took them to acknowledge? Well, they still haven't officially, but how long, you know, something happened, you know, how long before something happened with the keyboard fix? Um, you know, for the longest time, people were paying under warranty to get their keyboards replaced. Remember that? Yeah, and it's very expensive because the way that these new MacBooks yeah. are designed, you you can't just replace the keyboard. You have to replace a pretty sizable chunk of the laptop. For sure. And don't, by the way, don't be afraid to go into the weeds. You know, this <laughs> podcast is all about tangents. And most importantly, my listeners are pretty tech savvy, so we can go crazy. We talk sometimes about stuff in pretty big depth. Um, so, you know, I like it when my, the, the whole point of having a variety of guests is that everybody's got their own kind of like, area you know and it and it's a good exposure for my listeners they need to learn you know I, I want them to walk away and go to wikipedia and look up a couple of things basically um but yeah i mean i think for me it's not you know i don't have a, i have a 12 inch macbook first gen like it's my go-to portable machine i do very little video editing on it so i don't suffer too much but yeah if i had vi as much video editing to do as you folks um i would want a pro and probably a 15 inch for the real estate and just the fact that it's got you know overall much better architecture um with the better ram and everything so i would probably get that and right now i'd probably be asking myself that question that everybody's asking should i upgrade from last year's you know to this year because of this i9 and everything so it's good to see that we found some issues and they're hopefully getting remedied and but in terms of the rest of the computer what else has changed the keyboard has a membrane now to protect from dust and then we have the display that's true tone which i would always turn off yeah because i want to be able to see real colors right <laughs> like as uh, i do a lot of photo editing compared to video editing and and i love the fact that i can trust my display's color rendering i mean true true co you know true colors has got a is a good thing right it's it's got a what a true tone whatever they call it has it has a good has a good purpose for some people I, I guess but yeah. i don't consider that much of an upgrade do you no i mean i think it's a pro machine right it doesn't hurt to have it and i assume right. it's probably as far as apple's concerned you know it's probably a lot of the functionalities built into that t2 chip they throw some sensor on the uh, by the webcam or something and they're done or maybe they even integrate it into the the sensor they already have for the display brightness so yeah, it's not a sure. bad feature and i mean i think some people could use it but i think most people like us who are buying pro machines expect the screen to not be you know way wildly off on the the color temperature or something when you're trying to do something sensitive but <laughs> right I, I think that the the 2018 generally speaking is a good update i think one of the most noticeable things is definitely going to be going you know getting more cores right even on the 13 inch you're going from dual to quad core 15 you're going from quad core to hex core i mean that's a big big thing yeah, and even if deal. you are dealing with some of these throttling issues i mean it's a it's a matter of like i'll take any extra performance i can and a lot of times you are seeing even when it's being heavily throttled 15, 30, 40% more performance. And when it comes to sort of like rendering video or doing any kind of creative application that needs a lot of power, that's a huge, huge gain. So I think that's sort of the thing that's really exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there is RAM, there's a difference in RAM on the 13 yeah. and 15, right? It's, it's DDR, is it was four on the 15? 
It's so I think the 13 still maxes out at 16 gigs, but it is LP right. DDR3, three, whereas right, exactly. the 15 yeah has jumped up to DDR4, to which 32 right? No, 64 is max now, is it? It's what is it? 32. It was previously 16. Now it's 32, it's 32 as an option. Yeah. So I guess the thing is with that is that they don't make LP DDR3 that is actually a high enough capacity is the way I understand it. So they had to sort of take a little bit of a power penalty by going up to DDR4. But in return, they also did uh, increase the size of the battery batteries. Um, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but I think that both the 13 and 15 are somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 to 20% larger on the battery, which hopefully will kind of balance these things out. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the battery life on these is pretty solid, I think. Um my my twelve inch is old enough now. My my old MacBook that I probably need. I'm probably at the stage where I need new battery because it used to be a champ, and now it's not so great anymore. Um, oh man, that one's not easy to replace the battery. That's the one. I think it's got like six individual cells or something. I know it's correct. it's 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 all glued in. It's not a. That's <laughs> not an easy swap. <laughs> it is, um, but you know I'll live. Um, it's you know honestly at this point I'm probably going to upgrade whenever they do a major re revision of the twelve. At this point, whether they go. Um, um, you know, uh, arm based, which would, I would really like to see, to be honest with you for my use. Um, and, and, or they go to like some new Intel that's more efficient. I, I would, I would, I would welcome that because the biggest issue of the 12 inch MacBook, as much as I love the form factor is the performance is it's wow. It's painful. Even yeah. if you have the slightly newer, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's bare, like it's, it's slower than my MacBook air 11 used to be before that. Like, which was what third gen or fourth gen core? It was like Haswell or whatever. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. For me, it's all about portability, but but I do want to be at least able to you know work with more than ten tabs, which right now is it's a little bit of a hard demand on that little guy. I mean, it's a pretty which, reasonable uh, thing to want to do. Just open a few tabs and the computer yeah, keeps working. You know, that's that's not crazy. Just kind of get work done. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me the. The big news here, is, I agree with you, is the cores, the fact that there's a DDR4 RAM and up to 32 on. I thought for some reason there was an option for 64, but I guess not, uh, on the 15-inch. And then um, the True Tone, whatever, I don't care too much. Uh, uh, you know, I even have the, this, the display, bright, the auto brightness turned off on my laptop just oh, wow. because I, I want to have an idea, you know, like what, you know, if I'm looking at a picture, is it underexposed or overexposed, right? I want to I have a baseline so I can compare and so I just leave it at like a certain amount and then I, I will adjust it up and down based on ambient lighting myself if I need to, right? Uh, but I'm kind of hardcore about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> old school. Uh, and then, um, you know, I want to take, I want to get you take a little bit on the touch bar. To me, that's been a really big vexing thing ever since. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan. I'm old school. You know, I, I want my keys there. I, what I'm saying is like, I think the touch bar is cool for some people. And I think that, in the same way as some MacBooks in the old days had an option between a matte and a and a and a shiny display, I'd love for Apple to make the non-touch bars available as an option. In fact, what I think they should do is revise the entire system where the touch bar version has a normal power key in the top right corner, uh, like the regular keyboard has, and that has the sensor for um for the fingerprint in it and has a regular escape key at the very end on the left a real physical f escape key and then the touch bar is between those two buttons 
That's gotcha. what I want them to do. And then for those of us who don't even want to touch bar, there's an option where the, you know, the, other than those two keys, the touch bar is removed and those keys are replaced with normal keys. That's what I'd like to see them do as an option. Because right now, what my biggest, my biggest bummer basically on this new MacBook Pro announcement is that they didn't refresh the 13 inch with the two USB-Cs and the regular yeah. keyboard. Cause that's the one I want. That's the one I would buy. To replace my 12 inch because i want the portability but i want a regular keyboard and i'm just you know i don't know I'm, you've probably used the touch bar long enough now that you might like it and be used to it but for me it's just i just don't like it especially yeah. the escape button is, i use it all the time <laughs> i feel like i'm kind of indifferent to the touch bar i don't find myself missing physical keys i think there are some advantages i specifically i feel like it's easier to quickly adjust things like your volume or your screen brightness just by tapping and just like swiping left and right. I feel like it's a little bit quicker than sort of tap, 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 tapping. Um, yeah. The escape key, it, it trips me up every once in a while, but I think the main thing that I really appreciate is that touch ID. I do think it's really helpful to be able to just yeah. sort of hit the power button, leave your finger on it, let it sort of boot up and kind of log you in really quickly. But I don't know. I, I just feel like the touch bar seemed like a really cool idea. It seemed like there was a lot of potential there. And yet now for the most part, it's a glorified sort of I don't know, shortcut bar, I guess. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's not, there's just, there's never been any crazy utility out of it, which makes sense because it's just so small and it's, it's on your keyboard, right? Like, what do you expect? <laughs> yeah. I think for me, um, along the same lines as I would like to see, you know, um, the power button with the integrated and like physical cell button and an escape button physical is I would also like to see the touch, um, touch ID on the non the non-touch bar, yeah. um, you know, laptops. It, I mean, I know they're going to go full touch bar eventually. That's just the way it's going to go. It's Apple. But if they were to adopt what I'm suggesting, that's what I would like to see. And then the other thing is that really surprised me from day one, the touch bar, is that they didn't implement haptic feedback on those buttons. They do, oh, as you point. know, the trackpad, right, doesn't move physically. You press yeah. on it and it's so realistic, the ticking sound and the ticking feel that it makes. You know Apple could master this on the touch bar. And at least then maybe I'd consider having the escape key being, um, you know, being non-physical. The biggest issue with the escape key being not physical is not so much that it's actually on the touch bar, except that there's no feedback and it's a little offset to the yes, right. Yeah? I was about you to know? mention that. It's totally off to the side. I have to look down yeah. every single time. So that's my point. It's like, that's kind of why it's like, why don't you keep that as a physical key and do the rest of it? And then give us haptic feedback. You already have the taptic engine in there. And so I feel like they kind of did it half-assed, yeah. you know? Maybe, I mean, it's because I'm an Apple fan from a long time, especially Mac. I'm not a huge iOS person. I, I appreciate the iPhone 10. I think it's phenomenal hardware, but I'm not a big fan of the OS. Uh, but but the Mac has always been my thing. And, and I'm like, how did you not do like why did that not even come up maybe there was some technical reasons and but this gen 2 just came out and still no haptic feedback but well, you went true tone on that display <laughs> like, yeah. you know what i'm saying like you obviously like kind of went there partially and up improving it it's so weird to me so i, I guess, sometimes don't know understand apple <laughs> what's what's interesting to me is that the touch bar is not a standalone unit right so there is uh i guess i believe it was called the t1 in the original gen correct yeah, um yeah. and i mean i think that the idea is, is that that's sort of something that's going to be secure that's going to handle the the touch id 
I, I think it's really interesting how you see now that the T2, it's sort of expanding. It's handling more and more of like, you know, it's the full SSD controller. I mean, it's literally just a row of NAND flash that's sort of soldered onto the motherboard and everything else is being handled by that T2. It's interesting and it feels like sort of a stepping stone for the sort of ARM Mac transition, which I feel like at this point can only be maybe like a couple more years away. But I, I, I think- It has to happen, right? <laughs> it, it has to, you know, like there's no way that that's not going to be, you know, if, if it's 20, I don't know, 2021 and we do not have- an arm Mac, I will be just shocked. shocked. There's no yeah, way. There's no way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I really do hope that they do keep this a desktop, you know, and, and I say that quote unquote desktop experience, like basically, you know, in the same way as Chrome OS is different than Android. You know what I'm saying? Like I want, that's what I like about the Mac. It's not, you know, and actually I do think that Microsoft has somehow managed to do this kind of right with Windows 10, where you can switch between a desktop-like experience and then you have a touchscreen and you can use it as, you can maybe use it as a tablet if you want. And it does also work, but it's not really optimized for that unless you actually run their optimized apps. But to me, I think that I like the idea that Apple's just staying with kind of like just making this a desktop experience that's really solid. So I hope that when they go to ARM, they don't try to blend, you know, things between iOS and macOS too much. Because well, I don't want that. As a, I'm like, maybe I'm just old. Get off my lawn, kids. <laughs> I don't know. It's like... Well, what are your thoughts on Marzipan? Because I feel like that does seem like sort of the stepping stone between bridging the cap of iOS and Mac. I think it's good. I think it's a good idea because, um, you know, it does seem to work somewhat on on windows 10 right some apps yeah. that can be written once and used on multiple uh platforms with touch and with desktop exp a gui desktop experience whatever you want to call it so i, I th i'm for that i'm not against it i just feel like you know don't take away things like my ability to run bash scripts and you right, know right. the underlying unixness of it and the fact that i can tweak things and you know to me, that's what makes a Mac a Mac. It's like part of the reason I switched from Windows to Mac back in the early 2000s was because finally I could afford a Mac in terms of hardware, but also because it switched to OS X, which is what Mac OS was called back then, and it was a Unix-based OS. For me, as a developer, it meant that I could actually, you know, really get stuff done. And, you know, I still had a Windows box around because I was a video game developer. I have to, had to write code in Visual C, uh, sorry, Visual, C, uh, Visual Studio and Visual, in C++, right? So it was like, I've, for, for a long time, I had both because I needed, if I needed to do anything Unix, I did it on, on a Mac. And then if I didn't need to do anything PC, I did it on Windows. And, you know, now I run a virtual machine on my big iMac, right, at home. Uh, well, on the go, the, the MacBook's too slow for really running a virtual machine. But if I want to run Visual Studio... Uh, when in a native Windows environment, I just run a virtual machine on my iMac and off I go, right? It's great. So, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, I want to see the ARM, though, because I want to see the battery yeah. and performance and always-on connectivity, right? So, I think there's a... This is a really interesting topic. I feel like I could go really deep on Let's this. Let's go. But... Yes, I, I want to hear it. <laughs> so, I guess there's a lot to sort of... There's a lot happening in the space. So, specifically on the Windows side... I mean, ARM is already here, right? I mean, the Snapdragon PCs have been out for yep. close to a year now. They're already being updated with 845, which I say already. I mean, 845 is pretty old at this point, but 845 well, is coming. the 850 chip now, right? Oh, sorry, 850, 850, right, right. It's, yeah, yeah. I forgot that they rebranded it, but it's essentially, yeah, yeah it's, it's the 845 <laughs> inside. But like, I mean, th those are always on. They're pretty much instantly sort of able to come back awake. They have built-in LCE, which is a big deal, especially they've got some really good deals right now on, 
think it's like Sprint who's offering free LTE or yep. it's something like that. It's a, it's a really good deal on the, the LTE side of things. But I mean, that transition is already happening on Windows. And I think that there's a lot that you can sort of learn from that because not only is it, of course, going to be able to run stuff that's been made for the Windows Store that's going to be a little bit more cross-platform friendly, but I mean, between Qualcomm and Microsoft, they've built a really impressive sort of system that will allow you to run standard Windows apps on ARM. Now, I've done some testing with it. It's not perfect. You're definitely going to be taking a pretty severe performance penalty. But the yeah. fact that it runs at all and it runs in some kind of reasonable way, I mean, sure, if you're going to be running benchmarks and games and stuff, yeah, it's, it's not going to be a great experience. But for sort of the millions and millions of Windows apps out there that might not need, you know, crazy overhead performance, the fact that it works and it works well is so impressive to me. And I think that's really where Windows RT was a complete failure. And this is sort oh, of where absolutely. they got it right. Yeah. Totally. And you know, the other thing I think that makes a big difference is that they finally did the thing where 64-bit apps are supported. Yeah. So now it's not as much of a struggle to run, uh, you know, apps on on Snapdragon-based uh, Windows machines. And I think still a lot of ways to go there, but I think that you're right. Like, if you think about it, the, the performance of my 12-inch MacBook is not that much better. You know what I'm saying? It's like... Oh, no, not so, at all. So, like, really, ARM makes... It's so much sense to me for the next step for the Mac. And I, and that's kind of what I want to see. I want to see I want to see them go there and I want to see them go there soon. Yeah. And and with LTE connectivity like the iPads, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think if you do have an iPhone, I think the tethering and sort of like they've done a lot to sort of make it as simple as possible to be able to jump on, but it's never going to be as good as having actual LTE connectivity on your laptop, you know, with a bigger beefier antenna with the idea that you're not having to sort of drain your phone battery and sort of go back and forth when you're not connecting. Like, I mean, just having that LTE built in, there's no doubt that's going to be a better solution. And something else I think is really easy to overlook is just how much innovation, and I, I hate saying that word, around Apple, but <laughs> the, how much innovation that the Apple team has legitimately done on their SOCs, right? Like it is crazy the level of performance that they're consistently oh God, getting. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable, right? I mean, you look at some of the, like Geekbench, for example, and obviously that's a, a very narrow benchmark that sort of doesn't take into account sort of like long sustained use, like, you know, something like the, the Dave 2D Premiere Special or something. <laughs> but you can see the raw power that they're getting and specifically sort of what they're able to get out of such low clock speeds and such low TD on these iPhone and iPad chips. I mean, we're already seeing, and especially if they're sort of the next gen is sort of some of these leaked numbers are true. We're seeing performance that is not too far off of what you're able to get on a lot of sort of lower wattage Intel laptops in a phone. And you can just imagine as it gets better and better and better, even if you're going to be taking a 50% performance hit of running sort of standard x86 apps on the Mac, if things are going to be twice as fast, does it really matter? I mean, sure, it's not going to be perfect. Especially when you benefit in thin and thickness, weight, yes. battery life, and and always on connectivity. You know, imagine opening your Mac and your web browsers, everything's still up, pretty up to date. You don't have to hit refresh on your browser windows. It's there, yeah. you know? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Um, it feels because, like all the know, pieces are coming together. Yeah, it's happening. And I, I'm, I'm rooting for it. And that's going to be probably, you know... I'm probably going to have to buy another Intel-based Mac in the meantime because, as I said, this 12-inch is a little slow and the battery's dying. But uh, I think the next the next one after that, for me, at least my travel Mac will be, you know, will be that. And maybe it'll be a Windows box. I mean, I have had really great experiences with Windows 10 lately 
It's come and, a long way. Uh, it's come such a long way. And I could see myself living happily with it. And also, I love Chrome. I, I'm a big Chrome OS person. I have a Pixel book that I really love. Hey, there you go. A lot. You too, right? Yeah. No, the Pixel book. So I feel like so that was sweet. one of, <laughs> like, on the surface, it looks ridiculous, right? Who wants to pay $1,000 for a Chromebook? Like, that just seems yep. crazy when there's, like, $150 options at Best Buy all day long. But then you actually use the Pixel Book. And I think for almost anyone, I mean, even for people like us who are a little bit more on the pro side and typically need to use kind of slightly higher-end applications, I feel like even we're able to sort of get away to a fairly large degree of a lot of our normal oh, use absolutely. on a Pixel Book. Yeah, yeah, and, and to me, that's exactly why I love that it's a $1,000 Chromebook. Because a lot of people don't understand, I spend so much time on my computer all day between, you know, my, me as a journalist and my podcast and my consulting work that, and a lot of it is on the web. There's no, I don't need local storage. I'm just working on the web. And having a Pixel Book means that I can have Chrome OS but without the cheapness, you know? Yes, yes. Nothing feels janky. The display is awesome. It's retina. It's a touchscreen. You know, there's a pen if I want to use it. Not that I would. But there is, you know, a good keyboard. It's backlit. It's, you know, the me it's metal and aluminum and thin. So and nice. battery life is amazing. And I can open way more tabs than in my 12-inch MacBook. And it runs smoothly. And that's, people, you know, you get what you pay for, right? Like, yeah. You know, sometimes you get a good deal. Yeah, sometimes they, like that $130 laptop you reviewed, I was like, I'm on board 100%. I'll buy three of them and leave them around the house. It's awesome, <laughs> right? But at the same time, I'm like, I know what I'm getting. I know yeah. the compromises I'm making. I don't think manufacturers should stop making a $130 laptop because I want some people who are really tight on their budget to be able to be online and be, be productive and do the things I do. And I don't want to deprive them of that, but at the same time, Give me the option to spend money on something that I feel like is a like a tool, like something really, really honed and solid that I can use every day. Yeah, right? absolutely. And to be fair, the Pixelbook has come down. I've seen it on sale for in like the $700 range a couple yeah, times yeah. in the last couple of months. And I mean, I feel like at 1000 it is kind of a little hard to recommend for a lot of people. But you look at like $700, that's like much more in the sort of reasonable realm of like, hey, Bob, this actually might be your next laptop. Yeah, totally. And if you look at what you're getting in terms of, you know, fit and finish materials and everything, I mean, it's nice, right? Yeah. And, oh, I love and the hardware. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic hardware. And, you know, I kind of felt a lot the same way about the previous Pixel, uh, Chromebook Pixels. I had the, the first one and the second one. I had the first one with LTE, which was really great. Mm. Um, but, I mean, the Pixelbook to me is kind of like the perfect Chrome OS device of all the ones I've used. Um, and, yeah, you pay for it. But, um, you know, with Windows, I've used um, uh, the latest uh, Windows machine I've used is a uh, Huawei MateBook X Pro. Oh, yeah. And that thing is super fast and super slim and super good and has you know, just generally a really nice all-around. It's a complete rip off the MacBook Pro. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Typical Huawei, and I don't mean that in a bad way because they did it right. It's a really nice laptop. Um, and then I've used the ZenBook, um, the new ZenBook they announced at uh, at uh, in Taiwan at oh, Computex. The one uh, with the the touchpad. ZenBook S. ZenBook oh, S. Oh, the S. Yes, yeah, with the ergo lift. Yeah, the ergo lift. Um, I have that one in Core i7 with the high res display, and it's a gorgeous laptop the only thing that does fall short is on battery life because it's so thin they yeah. did skimp on the battery a bit and then i have a surface book which i love um, the surface book is a really really interesting piece of hardware i feel like do you have the the original or the the two no actually i'm sorry i'm in surface laptop not book. oh surface i see laptop. yeah no no i don't have the surface book 
Um, I had the original for a bit um, as a review unit from Microsoft, but I never got the new one because I don't really need that kind of horsepower. Yeah. It's a laptop that I have. And and honestly, other than lacking USB-C, for, primarily for charging, because my entire world is USB-C now because I charge my Android phones USB-C and my Macs and my even the that Huawei laptop and the ZenBook are both USB-C charge. Living so, in the future. Like, yeah, exactly. So the fact that the 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 you know service laptop doesn't have USB-C at all it's a bit weird, but I have to say the the, the Surface laptop was the first um, you know PC laptop that I unboxed where I felt like I was unboxing a Mac and I didn't have to install any drivers, nothing, everything worked right out of the box. You know, they weren't weird updates were because the trackpad was a little janky or some weird stuff like that, like you've seen on Dells and HPs in the past. And I have to say, the Huawei MateBook X Pro and the ZenBooks S were also rock solid right out of the box, which means that I think Windows... The ecosystem, Windows ecosystem, is finally learning yeah. to ship devices that you don't have to spend a day updating. You know. <laughs> oh man, that's my man. life. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you wasted most of your life updating Windows machines? Not an insignificant chunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's uh, it's uh, kind of comes with the territory. It's oh, yeah, like, of course. You know. Uh, yeah, we have to. But um, <laughs> speaking of USB-C, I want to kind of know your feelings on dongle life. Hashtag dongle oh, yeah? life. I mean, look, I mean, I personally don't care. I don't mind. Um, I am one of those people who actually supports the idea that uh, Apple kind of, you know, pulled us all kicking and screaming to the land of USB-C with the MacBook Pros. I do admit that, yes, it still would be nice to have an SD card slot and maybe a USB Type-A port. The Huawei MatePort X Pro has a USB-A. No, no SD card slot, though. And so, you know, but I feel like you have, you have to, at some point, make the transition. And, okay, a couple of dongles. I definitely need it. I think SD should be built in. Yeah. But I don't, th you know, I don't think you need anything else, really, at this point. I actually what, what feel pretty take? good about it. Yeah, no, I'm pretty much the same boat. Um, I guess it was 2016 when the uh, the new MacBook Pros came out, or I guess the new, the current gen MacBook Pros came out. That was kind of when I made the switch and sort of abandoned all USB-A that I could, started swapping out cables and stuff. And honestly, it was a little bit rough in the early days, but especially now, it doesn't feel like it's that big of a struggle. I mean, I do keep right. a good dongle in my sort of backpack, which has HDMI, DisplayPort, or mini DisplayPort, like Ethernet, some USB-As, which that's enough to get me through basically yeah. everything. So exactly. there's still a couple things in my workflow that I haven't been able to switch out, like specifically some of our recording stuff. It's It's got USB-A and there's no real way around that. But I mean, I really feel like USB-C it's so much nicer. It's so much smaller. You don't have to, I haven't put a USB port in upside down. I feel like in like years, I know. It's, it's an amazing feeling. I know. Think of all the time we've, you might've wasted time installing updates on windows, <laughs> but you certainly have not wasted time with USB ports in the last three years. That is definitely the truth. Right? So yeah, no, I feel the same. And to me, you know, again, as an primarily Android user, having a bunch of flagship phones in my pockets at all times, um, USB-C is, is, it's nice to have one charger that kind of rolls them oh, all, it's the so best. to speak, right? That's yeah. absolutely the best. Yeah, no, I feel like every once in a while, I'm sort of reminded that we're in the future, not because of some crazy new like mechanical phone or this insane new camera or something. It's like, oh, look, I just pulled that one laptop charger out and just charged my battery bank, my phone and my laptop. This is the life. <laughs> this is the life. I love it. Yeah, I feel that way too. I mean, I just kind of wish the iPhone and the iPad would switch over. When is that going to happen, Apple? Happen, uh, Apple. I, I mean, like, I, I know, I know, I, I understand MFI, I get the profit making, I get it, but it just vexes me to no end that you have to go, that, that a cable exists that's lightning at one end and USB-C at the other end vexes me 
so deeply, like in my very special spot in my heart. It uh, chars a corner of my heart so hard that that cable even exists. Yeah. They, they, they're not going to give it up. I just don't think they're going to give it up. I think feel like Apple will give up the the port at all like they just won't have a port and it'll all be wireless before they switch right. over to USB-C on the phone. I just I don't see it happening. And you know what? I think you're right. I think that's also why I'm annoyed with it. I'm like, "Come on, give yeah. us some USB-C love." I mean, I don't know, just like I'll give you an example, right? Where it was like kind of like the aha moment beyond the chargers. I was at Google I well, last this year as well. But last year uh, in 2017 at Google I.O., I wanted to do a live uh, YouTube, li YouTube live video with my Galaxy S8. And I was like, they had in the press boxes at the amphitheater, they had um, gigabit Ethernet. Oh, nice. Right? And you know the Wi-Fi trade shows, right? It's it's iffy, right? right. And, and LTE is also iffy when you have like 3,000 people in spot or whatever the number of people at I.O. is. So I was like, oh my God, I pulled out my USB-C to Ethernet dongle for my MacBook, plugged it into my <laughs> Galaxy S8, plugged the Ethernet cable, and did a live video in, you know, super high quality, right? That's brilliant. I love it. Right? I mean, that was like the magic moment. Like on an iPhone, I, like how do I connect Ethernet to an iPhone? Is there even a dongle to do that? I don't, I don't even think there's a way of doing that. I've never seen right? like that. And so again, because Android is based on Linux and Linux has all these built-in things in the kernel, you can just plug a thing and it'll just work. <laughs> it's like, I honestly didn't know for sure if it was going to work, but yep, it found it. And uh, I was able to turn off Wi-Fi, turn off data on my LTE connection so that I guaranteed I was using that dongle and I had just switched to it. That's such a good idea. Because, yeah, I've been, I mean, I feel like we've all been there a million times, right? Where you're at like a trade show or like some press conference and you're right. Like the Wi-Fi is just completely non-existent. You know, LTE is being slammed by everyone trying to stream and upload photos at the same time. Um, I'm actually kind of amazed that they even had uh, Ethernet there available. Like, kudos to them for that. That's <laughs> well, I, I mean, Google is very good about that. They, you know, they know that the media need a fast connection for live blogging, so they leave these in a couple of Ethernet jacks in each uh, little press booth things, and and it's like you know they're going to be fast because um, you're kind of the only. It's one segment, right, of their network. It's just us, basically, the media. So. Um, yeah, but for me, you know, it's like I wanted to do a, a, just a live YouTube video using the YouTube Live app, right? And it, it was like, I'm like, I don't want it to stutter or anything. Oh my God, Ethernet, let's try this and boom, you know? And this oh. is what I'm talking about. Like SD card, I can read an SD card on my on my Pixel by just plugging a USB-C to SD reader. I sometimes it's, will plug in like a, a mouse just because I'm like, you know what? This is fun. Like I'll just plug it in. I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm just yeah. using a mouse on my Pixel right now for no particular reason besides it makes me happy. Well, I'm glad to hear that hashtag dongle life has been treating you well. Um, I mean, you know, I think everybody's got a different experience there. I can understand the the friction point for some folks, like especially, you know, folks that carry a lot of gear and yeah. basically do need to have like an external hub to do anything. I mean, as I'm speaking to you right now on my 12-inch MacBook, I've got a dongle to go to USB-A for my Mac, my uh, Samsung Go mic to, to work. So, you know... It's like, basically, I have a condenser USB mic that's, you know, digital mic that doesn't have a USB-C cord, so it's connected via, you know, a dongle. Woohoo! <laughs> but I'm just used to it. I just live with it. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, we'll see how it goes with that update from, from Apple with those MacBooks. Um, I hope you guys all get the performance you deserve and you paid for. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Because I know there's a lot of you who paid a lot of money in the last two weeks. <laughs> Damn! Right? I mean, 6K for some of you. I know that. Um, 
And I'm like, wow, I don't think I'd go that high. Four terabytes, that's a lot. For, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I know. I definitely did not go for the four terabyte. Well, I mean, Marquez does 8K, sh- sh- you know, shoots at 8K on red. So, yeah, yeah I get it. Um, but, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, and then this arm thing, I'm really, really can't wait. I, I want, I want it so bad. Uh, I want all the things. To, I want arm all the things. Somebody needs to do a cartoon, like uh, a meme. <laughs> arm all the things. It just because it's the future. It it's, it's the, the future. future. I feel like things are advancing so quickly. It, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> Absolutely. So hey, I noticed um, one of the videos you did uh, was on a phone that I have not had my pause on yet. The oh. uh, v- the Oppo Find X. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and did you ever see the Vivo Next as well? The other one with the camera that's that's just the front-facing camera that comes out? I did. Did you get that one? I did not actually get it in. So I guess the way uh, it worked with the Find X was that I, uh, Oppo was able to send it to me early. And so I actually had shot my video on it before the Vivo had even been like properly announced. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, and so the way that video worked was that I knew just a little bit about it. Like they had told me just a very, very minimal amount beforehand. I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. But I wanted to kind of keep that sort of surprised because I knew it would be like a cool moment if it was as cool as I expected. You, or, you like you, that video, you could tell you didn't fake it. It was oh. so, I was like, oh my God, Austin is surprised. This is real. This is so cool. Yeah. And that was the thing. Like I was so, I was so happy because I knew something about it had some kind of pop-up camera and I knew that it was supposed to be mostly bezel-less. I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds great. But, uh, I just, that moment of like when the camera first popped up, I had no idea. And especially having not seen the the Vivo at the time, it blew my mind. I was like, you've got to be kidding. Like there's no way this is a phone yeah. that you can buy in 2018. I know. And, and I think what really makes it so great is beyond all the things you just said is how smooth the, you know, which like the, 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 the going out and coming back in. And it's like one fluid motion that authenticates you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, fast. if you blink, you don't see it. And you're like, what just happened? Right. Um, it's a little less dramatic when it opens and stays open because you're using the camera, but I still think it's kind of cool when you're in an app, like that might need to use your camera and you don't know that it does. And then it pops up the camera and you're like, oh, you little tricky little app. You were using my camera. I must have given you permission at one point. Don't. It's like an evolution of the webcam light. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, I think, look, I'm looking forward to getting it. I have requested a review in it um, and they are, I'm on their list. So I, I, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, we know, I know we've covered this, this phone extensively with other folks on the show. It's coming. I'm hoping to get one soon. Probably at this point, probably not till September. Um, but we'll see how it goes. And then the Vivo, I've also requested one. Um, so what, what is your take on the Vivo? I mean, on both of them. I mean, the Vivo is kind of interesting because it's just the front-facing camera and has a fingerprint reader on the display, which makes it unique. It's a trade-off, right? Yeah, because I feel like sort of as far as pure sexiness goes, the Oppo, it's kind of hard yeah. to beat. I mean, yeah. not only it's, you, even if you just ignore the camera, the display looks great. And the actual, the build quality, the way that the sort of the glass is with that, was it, I think they call it like Bordeaux or something, the, the color. Yeah, yeah. Love it, right? Like it's such a, such a nice piece of hardware. And I just nerd out endlessly over the camera. Um, but the Vivo is also really cool, especially with that fingerprint sensor. I think that the the motorized uh, front-facing camera is kind of cool, although I don't think it really is a comparison. But I think that the fingerprint sensor, that's a huge deal. And I think that having that built into the display is also a big part of the future. I really feel like there's going to be a version of these phones that kind of merges the best of both worlds together. And that's going to be really like, okay, we've nailed it. This is it. Totally. I think what's exciting for me, you know, having not had your experience where you saw the the Oppo first, 
um, for me, it was like a double whammo, right? It's like, oh, the Vivo. And then, oh, a week later, the Oppo. I'm like, well, where are we going next week, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, what's next? You know, I kind of want a dual slide now that motorizes oh. up and down. Remember the N95 from Nokia? Yeah. They had a physical dual slide. The media controls were on the top slide. On the bottom slide, we had the T9 uh, keypad. I want something like that where for completely superfluous reasons, like that just doesn't make, doesn't have to be, but is there. Just, you know, you know, I'm surprised. did it. I'm yeah. surprised at how well that, again, I haven't used the Vivo, but it's specifically with the Oppo. I'm surprised at how well the motorized function works. So uh, I played like around with it a fair bit. I wasn't trying to durability test it or really kind of push it to its limits, especially because it wasn't my phone. I had to send it back. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was really curious to see just how well it works. And it does seem to hold up pretty well. In fact, something that uh, it was actually after we shot the video, but I was still playing with it. Um, it fell off my table and landed on the ground. And it actually had closed up the camera by the time it had hit the ground. And I got a little pop-up saying, hey, please be careful, something, something like, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fragile or whatever. But basically it gave me a warning, <laughs> like, don't drop it with the camera uh, extended. Wow, that yeah. is so crazy. You know, that's like my Model 3, which tells me to gently close the, um, the little... Um, compartment between my two seats no 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 the oh. charging port right like there's like when you sit on the driver's side on if you kind of extend your right hand um just below where the phones can be can be put to charge there's a little compartment there with a kind of like a, a rotating little cubby hole and when you close that too fast the display says be gentle oh wow that's cool i know i'm like they but think about this austin tesla spent money on a sensor <laughs> <laughs> that detects that you are closing the cubby hole fast, which is to me is like, no, you did it wrong because the user experience should be that it should shut when I close it fast. Okay. Like yeah. you didn't have to like, oh, I mean, I love my, my model three, but it's just one of those quirks where you're like, seriously, you put a sensor to tell me to be gentle with the cubby hole thing. I'm sure it would wow. have been much simpler to just build a bigger mechanism or something versus running the cable and the sensor and writing the code. It's insane. I think that whole, that whole car is just a giant piece of software on wheels it's incredible no yeah, um, yeah but 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 the point is um you know it's cool to know that they are probably detected free fall with the accelerometer yeah that's and exactly we're, and they were like we we managed to catch it in time and close the, the lid but uh, don't do that again okay yeah because <laughs> i've seen the uh the actual teardowns after the fact and it does seem like it's a fairly robust mechanism and it's quick but i mean obviously anytime you add moving parts you're going to introduce some risk of failure so it's cool that at least they've sort of thought things out and have designed it properly at least it seems like that versus just trying to be first and just throw something up there that's going to maybe look yeah. nice and work for six months and then break on you Absolutely. But, you know, that's the thing. I think the Chinese have a lot of experience with manufacturing, not just oh, electronics, but mechanical designs. And you can see that here. Like, you know, these are probably the same factories who manufacture watch parts, you know, like they can oh, yeah. they can get some high tolerance to shock on these mechanical things. And at the same time, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see how much uh, dust ingress becomes an issue on that phone. Yeah. You know, obviously it's not water resistant. That's one of the big drawbacks of these phones with moving parts that protrude electrically. But I think um, the dust, I think, is m more of an issue. Like I collect so much dust just from having phones in my pants, you know. Like my Pixel 2 at one point, it, the charging cable wouldn't stick in all the way. Like it just felt like the clicking wasn't happening when I was pushing it in all the way. And it turns out I had so much fuzz inside the connector oh, wow. that it was creating like a little bit of a layer of, of you know, basically just, you know, dust from my clothes. So 
I went in there with a, a little wood toothpick, you know, and I pulled it all out and it came out as one big salt piece of felt, basically, wow, <laughs> from yeah. all the dust. And then I, and then the, now the connector works like a charm again. So I think that happens and it happens, uh, you know, and, and I'm be curious to see how, how these phones hold up to dust getting into that mechanism over time. Yeah. Well, time will tell. And precise, I mean, come on. We only keep phones two years anyway, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe you and I do, but I feel like no, I'm no, seeing I'm a joking. lot of people. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like, it's like, that's probably their rationale. It's like, yeah, two years contract, that's pretty much all you need, right? As soon as it's out of warranty, who cares? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, it'll be really interesting to see how these uh, phones pan out after, you know, a year, six months, whatever, of normal everyday use. And, and with some drops, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm excited. I We were talking about this before the show started, and I feel that this is kind of like, we're this weird place right now where everybody's trying to go bezel-less, but they're making all these compromises to get there, like the notch and like these slide-out things that are motorized. And, and, and as much as I'm like, oh, can we finally get to the point where we just have a screen that's, you know, maybe that the front-facing camera can take a photo right through the screen or something. Can we get to that point? Part of me is frustrated, but part of me is like, Look at all the cool phones we're getting because of this, like, crazy, like, notches and slide-outs. And, oh, my God, the nerd in me is like, whoa. I totally agree. I mean, I'm sure that at some point, every phone will be a completely boring piece of glass that has everything built in. And it's sort of sleek and, and slim and everything. But I think I'm totally with you in that it's so much more exciting to see all the weird workarounds and all the just the, the differences, right? Like, I feel like for a couple years there, it did feel like phones were getting very, very similar. There wasn't a lot of innovation. Yeah. It was kind of like the same thing. It kind of felt like that everyone was doing. It was all aluminum. It was all glass up front. You know, the screens would be getting a little bit bigger, but the bezels were the same. The speakers were kind of terrible. But now it feels like there's actually some real choices that companies are making in the development. And these choices might not all necessarily be great, but some of them are unique and some of them actually sort of add some character and add just some fun to the devices. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we needed that because if you think back, I don't know if you were around when Nokia had their crazy period of like the lipstick oh, yeah. phone, the taco phone, the, the banana, like banana. Yeah, you know. So they're coming back, obviously, with these, some of them. But I'm talking about the originals. You know, these form factors were very exploratory and some of them were very flawed. But at the same time, you know, it brought so much variety to the ecosystem, you know, before everybody had a slab of glass in their hand. Um, and, and I, and I'm glad we're seeing some of that happening right now, kind of by necessity in a way. Um, and, or by the fact that people are maybe bored and going like, maybe we should, you know, if we have to com make these weird compromises before we can get to a full screen phone, why don't we play with it and have fun? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is great. I'm really looking forward to these two devices and hopefully I get my hands on them soon and then you'll get more coverage. And I can't wait for you to get a review in it too so I can watch that video you're going to make. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, speaking of videos and your videos, one of my favorite segments uh, that you do on a pretty regular basis is when somebody throws a box on your desk. <laughs> I don't know who your assistant or person is, but I always imagine somebody who's like, having to spend hours and hours on the internet finding these things for you that is and very kind of half aiding you for it. Kind of like, you know, Lou has, has his, his folks helping him out for, uh, for on, on unbox therapy. I'm thinking that this person probably is kind of amazing for finding this stuff. 
So they throw something on your desk and it's from Amazon or eBay or whatever, and you open it, you don't know what it is. I love those segments. I think it's so cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So we've been doing them for a little over a year now. In fact, actually today, uh, like right after we're done shooting a podcast, I'm going to do another one. Um, <laughs> they're, they're fun. We've kind of done a few different versions. So sometimes uh, we have a public PO box and people and companies will send us all kinds of weird, random stuff. But a lot of it is uh, my main camera op, Ken, he just will spend hours on Amazon just searching for cool stuff, for weird stuff, for things that he knows will definitely annoy me and make a good video. I mean, annoy you. <laughs> uh, oh, there's been some bad stuff. I mean, he bought like a $70 ball bearing that was like 20 something. I pounds. remember that. Oh, oh yeah. Man, yeah. There's I'm like right now I'm looking at the Robo Raptor, which is a like a I guess it's a, a little toy raptor. I say a little, it's like a couple feet tall, but it's a little toy raptor that has sensors in it. And I remember uh-huh. in the video, I like poked it and it like tried to bite me like it like jumped at me that was like <laughs> one of my favorite moments uh man but it's like it, it's one of those fun series because i think on youtube there's so many people who do so many great tech videos that yeah. it's always a struggle to be different to be unique to find something that's sort of really fascinating and entertaining for people right and i think that the the mystery tech series for us has just been something that it's fun i enjoy first of all not having to do a bunch of research and everything like it's fun to just sort of show up turn the cameras on and just sort of react do and your, have be fun. yourself yeah exactly. be a nerd i know it's awesome and i really enjoyed it was it you and saf that went to the taiwan market oh, and yeah picked up stuff yeah yeah that was really cool because i have you know i've been to computex like oh, for over a decade now almost every other year or so and i've done the the markets but man isn't it crazy the stuff they have like yes. it's like mind-blowing right yeah. Have you I ever mean, been to Shenzhen? Shenzhen's I was, even crazier. I was, I was about to say, it's cool, but it's not on the Shenzhen level of just no, like, true. what, how does this even hear? But it was cool. <laughs> and I think it's one of those things where I just, the mystery tech is fun. Like, I just love finding weird, obscure stuff that no one's ever found or that is like, why does it still exist or whatever? Like, it's just for me, it's what keeps everything fun. Because I mean, sure, there's always going to be another laptop and another phone. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I get excited about, you know, a new Core i9 MacBook or, you know, the world's smallest laptop or whatever the case is but it's also i feel like it's so important with any kind of job to make sure that there's variety make sure there's something that really kind of keeps it interesting and exciting and i feel like the mystery tech is really kind of what i get excited about it's like oh cool this week we get to go and open a bunch <laughs> of stuff from ebay that's probably yeah. gonna be terrible or great like that's that's just so much fun to me it keeps it all so fresh no it's really great that's why i just want to give you a shout out and not only that but i want to tell you how jealous i am of your walkman oh, because yeah. i had i pretty much had that walkman in in early early years of college late 80s for me i know i'm really old but but uh you know and that was one of the best that sony ever did you know it was before the auto reverse craze so it was really simple still but it was so small for its feature set and and you the one you have is in such good con- i have no idea where they f- where where your folks found this thing i think they're so Amazon, hard yeah. to come by and they cost so much money when you come by a good one <laughs> yeah i know and the thing is uh, something that really always surprises me about any of the the walkmans is how much they don't sort of look their age i guess like they look right. like they could be made today like the the metal mm-hmm. in fact some of them they actually look better right like there's better materials there's no plastic everywhere but it's just it's so cool to see that you know, I feel like the 70s and the 80s, there was so much great work on sort of making these mechanical things that, you know, it wasn't just a bunch of software. It was actually like someone put a ton of engineering hours into, yeah, yeah. you know, making the click feel just right or sort of cramming just a little bit more space in it so you can just shrink it out or to get it down to like a single battery or whatever. Like, that's the stuff that I feel like is just so cool and I respect so much now that everything's digital. And I mean, I don't know, it's, it's hard to get as excited about an iPod as you can about this this totally mechanical Walkman that yeah, just, it just feels know, like from a different era. 
I love that you appreciate that and others are too, because, you know, having been there when these things were announced, like imagine, you know, being in your teens when like the Vivo Next gets launched, right? Yeah. It's like that, right? I was there and I wanted that so bad. And what really made this so unique at the time was that it's, it was the size of a cassette tape, right? And you have the one with FM radio, so it's a little thicker because I scram this tiny FM radio in the lid. And, and they, the all Walkman at the time were two double A's running on three volts. And this one has a single double A. And the reason for that is they put a DC to DC converter, which at the time was unheard of, right? Sony made this miniaturized DC to DC converter to go from 1.5 to three volts to run the thing. They made a custom brushless DC motor that's only two millimeters thick to stick in that thing. And this is in 1982 or whatever. Something like, like that. Like a lot of the micro, the, the miniaturization we're benefiting today in our smartphones, in a lot of the devices we use, like smartwatches, everything, has basically originated from work that companies like Sony and Iowa did on Walkman back then, and then eventually on Discman, and then on mini disc players. Like we do not appreciate, I think, how much engineering went into this because today a lot of it is software driven, right? Absolutely. And, and it's why I think you know, people should have a look. I used to, I had a little business in high school where I repaired Walkman for my friends. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I took all of these apart and I kind of, you know, just admired the design so hard. I was just like, how did they, you know, the ingenuity that went into making these things so thin and light. And and you're right, the use of materials like metal was, and I think that thing is a magnesium alloy, which as you know, a lot of laptops eventually ended up being made of, right? Before it all they comes went back around. Uni yeah, before they went unibody aluminum. So it's really kind of interesting to me. I kind of wanted to poke your brain, spe speaking of tiny things that evolved into smartphones, about the OnePlus 6, because, you know, and, and generally the mid-range phone revolution, I'd like to call it. It's not a, maybe not a revolution, but it's definitely... There's something going on with mid-rangers right now where between $200 and $500, you can get some gems in terms oh, of smartphones. Yeah. And it didn't used to be that way always, right? I mean, OnePlus always drove that really hard. And they're still there with essentially a flagship at a $530 price point, which really you can't ignore anymore because they finally got the camera right too this time. So, woohoo. But um, others, you know, like I reviewed the, the Moto G6. I just I just felt like for $250, that phone was just so well-rounded, you know? Yeah. I think Marquez said it best. It's like cheap phones are getting good and good phones are getting cheap. And man, I feel like it just that just sums it up perfectly. I think as sort of prices come down, as sort of these technologies which become good enough sort of trickle down from that $800 phone to the $500 phone to the $200 phone to the $50 phone. I mean, it's just... It's crazy to me that you can get something with so much technology that is a smartphone for such a low price. I'm not even talking about the mid-range necessarily. I think there's just as much excitement on the budget end, right? Because as oh, mid-range phones get good, then that $150 phone is going to be just as much better. And then the $50 phone after that, it's just, it's so cool to see. And I think that that's arguably, I don't even think it's arguably, I think it's pretty clear that that's more important than what's going on on the high end, right? Because I mean, sure, some of us are fortunate enough to be able to afford these very expensive flagships and they're great. And they're full of this amazing technology. But you know what? You wait a year or two, and you're definitely going to find that on a three, dollars $400 phone that's going to be just as good, if not even maybe better. And that's so exciting to me to see just how fast everything is moving and how quickly things are becoming so much more affordable for so many more people. 
and and how you don't feel cheated anymore by spending less money, right? You mean like, oh, yeah. I can live with a G6 as my main phone, it'd be perfectly okay. Like, I know I wouldn't get the best camera and the best battery life and the best performance, but I wouldn't feel like I'm leaving too much on the table. I'm certainly leaving a lot of Benjamins on the table, that's for sure. <laughs> that's um, a good thing. And that's good, you know, and for some folks that's essential. And so I think that that's why, I'm, you know, I can't believe that's a glass sandwich design at $250 and they didn't skimp on that in any way. The materials, the build quality, Screen, it's like, wow, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that's what got me excited about, um, you know, that, that category of phone. And, and more importantly, I think that the OnePlus 6 kind of sits at the top of that, you know, right now as kind of like the... The flag holder, right? Like not not flagship, but it's it's kind of like waving that flag back and forth, saying, "Hey, we can do this," right? I mean, and they always have, but I think they missed the mark a lot on the five and five T. Whereas they had, I think that three T was pretty solid in the three, but this this is back to this is back to form for them. I mean, I I think it's hard to argue that it's not right up there with a lot of flagships, right? I mean, sure, you're going to be missing a couple little things here or there, but generally speaking, if you compare the OnePlus 6 to any high-end Android phone, it's like, okay, what are you really losing? It's like that list gets really small, especially when you look at it, you know, the idea that you're saving two, three, four hundred dollars. I think it it stacks up pretty well. I think it's it's really hard to argue that that is not one of the best sort of bang for the buck smartphones that you can get right now. And speaking of expensive smartphone, uh, our last topic before we wrap up, briefly want to talk about the uh, Galaxy Note 9. It's oh, yeah. launching in New York on uh, the 9th of August. Will you be there for that? or? Unfortunately, I'm not going to make it out for Neither that. Neither am I, actually. I'm going to be going to the Moto event on August 2nd in Chicago, though. So August. I'm looking forward to whatever iPhone 10 knockoff they come up oh, with. Oh, Right? <laughs> hey, look, I'm not saying that in a bad way. The Knocking off the iPhone 10 is... is the super awesome go for it right like i'm i love moto phones I, yeah. I really genuinely do and i'm really looking forward to what they're doing there and you know most importantly i'd be curious to find out there's so many rumors um about what they might announce there including a, a z3 force and a 5g mod the first 5g radio on a phone through a mod I'm excited to see um, it. And then, of course, that that Moto uh, Moto One that that's basically uh, looks like a very much in terms of design a clone of the iPhone 10. But back to the Note. Uh, what you know, there's been a lot of leaks and rumors. Colors have been leaked. The fact that supposedly the stylus has Bluetooth now, meaning that you can use it uh, to trigger the camera, for example, or keep it. You know, you know, it can it can beep at you when you walk away from the stylus or whatever in a more you know in a, definitely in a more uh uh reliable way than it has been doing so far um so you know the note 10s are going to cost a grand so note 9 i mean what what do you think what are you what's your take on that I love that this stuff leaks so early, but also it's kind of a little sad to me because, man, I miss the days of being really surprised by new phones. I feel like, especially <laughs> with stuff like the iPhone and Samsungs of the world, it's so hard to be surprised. I mean, everything leaks so far ahead of time. I mean, I think you're exactly right. If you look through just the last couple days, I don't think there's a lot that really could be a surprise on the Note 9. We've seen every angle. We've seen all the new features, stuff like, you know, the Bluetooth stylus. I mean, even stuff like the battery being bigger, which, hey, props to Samsung for finally sort of, I guess, putting enough distance between themselves and the the previous note fiasco I mean, of the battery yeah. issues and, and, and the stuff. fact that they're making a bigger battery is definitely means that they're confident about it right like i mean yeah. you can't repeat that mistake so oh, no yeah. no right. but yeah it, it seems solid i mean i think that the note series 
in the early days, like I was a huge fan of the Note 2. Like that was my daily driver for quite a while because it was just so unique. I think the Note series is, if you're really into the stylus, and I think that there's a lot of people who are, yep, it's yep. a great option. But I also feel like, man, you look at like that S9 Plus, it's it's hard <laughs> to kind of say, oh, I'm going I'm to wait an extra six months for a few features. For me, I feel like the Note series still just, it, it's lacking a little bit of something that kind of differentiates it. I, I feel like as someone who's not really all that into the stylus, it's just not as exciting as something like sort of going for the mainline S9 or S9 Plus. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. It's it's cool, and I'm glad that they're able to add new features, especially if it's got something like a built-in fingerprint sensor and the display, which it doesn't look like it this year. Since no, I mean, I'm looking I at, doubt it. We're going to see that yet. I'm, I'm looking at photos, all of these mock-ups and all these leaked photos of the fingerprint sensor right below the uh, the camera here. But it's like it's cool, and I get that a lot of people are really excited about the Note. But personally, for me, it's just difficult to get excited when the S9 Plus is has been around for so six good. months. It's, got, it's so good. It's so good, yeah. right? It's like there's so few things. Like before, there was such a huge difference in the screen size. The S Pen was something legitimately different. It still is a big differentiator. But I don't know. It's just, it's cool. There's a lot of interesting stuff, but it's also not something that really gets me fired up in the morning. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think the big thing that year, last year got me excited about the Note 8 was finally a dual camera on yes. you know, a Samsung phone. And the tele was stabilized, which was really the way to go because, you know, the iPhone 10 did the same. And and you look at the HTC U12+, Plus, which doesn't have a stabilized uh, tele lens, and it's crap because of it, that the tele lens part anyway. And yeah. so it's it's like, you know, you want that. and And so... It looks like from the leaks that it has the same camera system as the S9 Plus, which basically means a tele-stabilized and the double aperture, um, you know, uh, super, super fast lens on the on the, uh, on the the main camera, which I think is uh, just, it doesn't seem like they're adding much to the imaging system. So basically we're just getting a bigger screen, a bigger battery and a smarter stylus than last year, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. really. And I mean, there's a lot of people who that's going to make very, very happy, right? I of think course, there's a yeah. ton of no yeah. fans out there. And I mean, it's, it's great. It's just, oh man, I don't know. I just kind of miss the days of the Note being something that's wildly different and not just like a bigger S9 with a stylus. Yeah, totally. Well, listen, uh, we should wrap it up. So I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you beyond your YouTube channel, obviously, but maybe even your YouTube channel if you want to pimp that again. But I'm thinking Instagram, Twitter, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, the YouTube is just my name, Austin Evans. You want to find some tech videos that are very exciting and full of mystery. Uh, there's also <laughs> uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. And uh, my handle is Austin, not Duncan. That's right. So what's the story behind that? I'm oh. sure you've told it a million times, but maybe share with my audience. Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess the short answer is uh, I first started calling myself Duncan online when I was like 10. It was sort of like my super cool <laughs> username and it sort of stuck for a while. So when I came around to making my channel, I already had a YouTube channel that was named Duncan33303, which fun fact is ah. actually still the original URL. So that still actually works. But <laughs> nice. um, yeah, after a few years, I realized this is ridiculous. My name's not even Duncan. This is really dumb. So I started changing it everywhere. But um, surprise, surprise, Austin Evans is a little bit of a more of a common name and was taken on pretty much all social networks. So <laughs> I renamed myself Austin, not Duncan. And uh, there's the... Wow. That's how it worked. Well, I, I did not know this story. Maybe I'm sure you've told it many times. And thanks for sharing it again with the rest of the class, <laughs> as it were. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, so, you know, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Austin's channel and, and his, his Instagram and um, Twitter and all that. You guys know where to find me. I'm Tank Girl pretty much everywhere on Twitter, on Instagram. It's spelled T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character, drop the vowels. And, so um, cool. 
I didn't get that handle everywhere, Austin, but oh, I did, did you? mostly. No, if you look at the shortened URL, like the, the, the URL handle for my YouTube, it's actually not that. It's something else that I had to come up with something and, and it's not, not at all in line with my branding. But, um, my YouTube channel is just, you know, if you can also type youtube.com slash Miriam Joar, my full name spelled out, Miriam with a Y. Uh, you know, the YouTube channel is a compliment to this. It's, you know, I just do one kind of, fun unboxing videos and not super produced or anything. I also do some review videos, some hands-on videos and stuff, just basically to give you some visual background for the podcast so you can even listen to them muted if you want and watch them that way and see the pretty pictures and the pretty phones and all that stuff. Um, and of course, um, please subscribe to that channel and like the videos if you like them and subscribe to the podcast, mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Pocket Cast, Overcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Slacker, Stitcher, I think everywhere pretty much. Just Google Mobile Tech Podcast Tank Girl um, without the vowels. That way you'll find me. And uh, subscribe and let your friends know and all that good stuff. And before we go, Austin, I want to quickly thank our sponsor, audible.com. They, I don't know if you do audiobooks at all, if you're an audiobook listener, if you have time for that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, if you like audiobooks, this is the place to go. So go check out uh, audible.com. Um, I have a link, uh, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you click on that link, which will be in the show notes, uh, along with the other topics we discussed today, um, you know, it, it helps support the podcast. And, you know, I can't do this podcast without your help. So please, please go ahead. If you haven't signed up for Audible, this is a great way to do it. Um, Austin, thanks for being on the show. That was really kind of cool because I've been wanting to have you for a while and I hadn't met you. So I was like, I don't know if I email him. He might not get back to me. <laughs> How do we do this? And then I saw you there and I'm like, hey, maybe I should ask him. And you said yes. And I was oh, like, awesome. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great. And uh, we'll have you again in the future at some point if you're up for it. And uh, stay tuned for another show next week, everybody. Cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.